Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to Be the Informed Patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Last year, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed in cardiac arrest during a football game. He was resuscitated on the field in Cincinnati, and he's since recovered and played football this season, but he's become a big advocate for the importance of CPR and the use of AEDs or automated external defibrillators. Before the end of the year, Governor Kathy Hochul signed into law a requirement that camps and youth sports programs provide access to AEDs. For help understanding how these machines work and how this may affect sporting events, I'm talking with Dr. Christian Knudsen, an associate professor of emergency medicine, and Dr. Guillermo Negrete, an EMS fellow, both from Upstate. Welcome to The Informed Patient, Dr. Knudsen and Dr. Negrete. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. Mr. Hamlin has said that we're requiring at least one person to be trained to use an AED at every sports event, camp, and practice. Tens of thousands of kids will be protected. Is he exaggerating, Dr. Knudsen? Uh, I'd say he's not. I mean, different ways of looking at that. By protecting tens of thousands of athletes, yes. I mean, obviously, uh, all these children are playing sports at a large events. But in terms of protection for sudden cardiac death, uh, the numbers, unfortunately, are fairly small for children. Against that, it's not that common. There's only nationwide, we think between 2,000 and 7,000 events per year. Most of those occur at home and don't happen at uh, sporting events. We think for sporting events themselves, there's only about 100 cases per year. So when tens of thousands are protected, the actual numbers who require it are very small. And, but in addition to the athletes, there's coaches and spectators that are older. Are they more likely to have an event? By far. For adults, uh, there's somewhere around 350,000 sudden cardiac deaths per year nationwide. That's 1,000 people per day. So compare that 1,000 per day with 100 per year for children. Obviously, you bring AEDs and CPR-trained people to events. You're really trying to protect the adults as well as the student-athletes. I'd like to ask you to tell us about the history of the AED. Is this a machine that was first used in the hospital before it was brought out into the public? It was. We... Cool. Over 100 years now, we've been testing electricity on the heart. We know from the 1900s uh, that the first studies were done looking at animal models using electricity on the heart, and they could show that even back then, electricity could take a heart into rhythm and take it out of rhythm. You know, take something called particular fibrillation where the heart does not beat properly in quivers. Uh, and they could show that small shock could take it into this, this bad rhythm, and then a larger shock would put it back into a normal rhythm. Fast forward to the 1940s, there was a cardiac surgeon who was the first person to have a patient go into ventricular fibrillation uh, during a heart surgery case. Uh, he was the first person to shock the rhythm uh, from B-fib or ventricular fibrillation back into normal sinus rhythm or a, a normal rhythm for the heart. Uh, and then fast forward to the 60s, uh, Dr. Paul Zoll was the first one to use a large machine on wheels. It was weight hundreds of pounds, you know, had to be wheeled into rooms. Uh, we used the first one to show that electricity across the heart would work to, to fix these funny rhythms. And it wasn't until the late seventies that we miniaturized that to a small enough portable device to use on people and the public. Is there data about the success rate of defibrillators used by the medical staff in the hospital compared with AEDs used by the lay public? 
I can jump in if you don't mind. For this specific question, there's always new data coming out. This is a very big topic. And actually, there is a, a recent article that came out in 2018, which actually shows the benefit and how important time sensitive it is when bystanders use AEDs prior to the patient actually getting to the hospital. And it has shown a better survival and functional outcomes in people who actually are being treated sooner while they're in the field before they even get to the hospital. Well, Dr. Negrete, can you go over the instructions for how and when to use an AED? How, how would a bystander know what to do? Sure. So the most common scenario is when you see somebody on the ground, the first thing you're going to do is basically go and check to see if they're conscious or not, or if they're breathing or not. The most common recommendation is to call 911 with the phone on speaker and start CPR. Obviously, the ideal scenario will be to have somebody else with you to be able to lay a hand and help you with the instructions. Whenever we use an AED, there's different types and shapes of them nowadays, but the, for the most part, they're standardized on the same way they are used. So what I mean by that is all AEDs that you use, they have three main components, which is basically some pads that are kind of come in the box and they may be either pediatric or adults. Inside, they will also have instructions. And when you are able to put those pads on the actual person, the box itself, the AED has for the most part an automated voice, which can actually give instructions to you to follow. Um, these pads for the most part are going to be put one pad on the front of the chest on the top right and another one on the bottom left of the chest. For the most part, we try to keep those areas clean and dry, if possible, for the machine to be able to have a better read on the patient's electrical rhythm. By doing so, the machine will activate on its own and will tell you if the patient will require or it, it recommends to be shocked. If that does happen, there's a really clear either a color or a bright button on the AED machine, which it will tell you when to not touch the patient so you can actually push that button. The button basically will just deliver the necessary electric current into the patient before you can start continuing CPR once again. And these pads have to be on bare skin, is that right? That is correct. And again, sometimes patients or people, they can be wet or they can be sweating. So if possible, when you remove the clothing, you can use a, their same clothing to kind of just wipe any excess water that the patient might have on the skin. So the actual pads can have a better touch on the actual skin or better reading. How old does somebody need to be to use the AED? Is there an age limit? 
there's actually no age limit. I mean, it all kind of depends on the individual, you know, nowadays we can see the kids are getting more mature and there's having even reported, you know, even sixth graders successfully using AEDs like under 90 seconds. So with that in mind, anyone can use it. It's just a matter of just following the instructions. Is there a possible danger to using the machine by a member of the public? Could the jolt hurt someone? No. The answer to that is no. What if it's a pregnant woman? Would it hurt the baby? Well, in that case, the best thing to do is to save the mom to be able to save the baby. So when you have somebody unconscious or what we call in cardiac arrest, you're not going to hurt them per se, right? Because they are, in other words, dead. So anything that you can do for this person is going to be to their benefit. That is from giving the electricity or the CPR at the same time to be able to help have a better outcome. In regards to a bystander, if by delivering electricity to the patient, you are still touching the person, yes, you will have a jolt that can um, cause you to feel the electricity going to you too. For the most part, he won't harm you, but it can cause pain because of the transfer of electricity. So the person using the AED may feel it? If you are touching the patient when delivering electricity. I see. So it would be important to tell people, get away, stand back. Correct. And the AED machine itself is very good at actually verbalizing in a pretty good volume telling you to please stay cleared from the patient. And even yourself, you can also speak out loud, which is a good exercise to do to remain clear from the patient before you push the button on the box to deliver the electricity. You said that the machines are pretty good about talking the bystander through how to use it. How many times might a person have to use the machine before the ambulance arrives? As many times as the machine is able to detect a rhythm that is what we call shockable, we would follow its instructions. If the machine does not suggest for a shock, we would just continue doing CPR. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with two emergency medicine doctors from upstate, Dr. Christian Knudsen and Dr. Guillermo Negrete, about automated external defibrillators. And Dr. Knudsen, are schools in New York State already required to have AEDs on site and people trained in CPR and how to use an AED? Yes. Uh, schools are required. All federal buildings and state buildings are required to have AEDs in them. Ideally, they should be using a three-minute walk between any event uh, and where the AEDs are stored. So there should be enough depending on the size of the building to be close by for these kind of events. In terms of staff, at least in schools, um, some of the teachers need to be trained on AED use. The more, the better. Obviously, I know in, in my school district, all of the gym teachers and coaches are trained how to use AEDs for two reasons. One, they'll be in school. Uh, 
during school hours and to his coaches, if they go to events with their athletes, they'll know how to use an AED in the field as well. Now, what about the upkeep of these machines? Um, cause they don't last forever and they have batteries, right? Who's in charge of making sure they're working well? Every group that has AEDs or a pad program or peripheral automated defibrillator program should have a system in place to do maintenance, checking on the AEDs on a regular basis. The two disposables are one, the battery and two, the pads. Depending on the manufacturers, they should be replaced at some point, roughly every three years. And there should be a system in place to go monitor them, at least upstate for our system. Uh, our, our folks will check them every three years to make sure they're still working and functional. So every school should do the same. Do you know how well the machines work in extreme weather? Because here in central New York, it could be super hot or it could be super cold. Do the machines work in extremes? Uh, they do. They're, they're made to work in all environments. Obviously, if they're kept outdoors, it, the heat and cold can degrade the battery faster, which makes the importance of keep even more important, but they, they can work in all conditions. Now, this new legislation says that camps and youth sports programs with five or more teams participating have to have an AED and at least one person trained to properly use it at the camps and games and practices. Is that going to be a challenge for teams to comply with? Well, obviously, there are two parts to that. One is the physical purchase of the AED. Um, so teams will have to budget to purchase the right equipment to take care of it and travel with it and have enough AEDs on site to, to be safe. The second part is training. There'll have to be some pre-planning or foresight to get those folks trained on the devices and trained on CPR ahead of time and then upkeep or update their certifications on a regular basis. I'm not sure how often that is, likely every two to three years. Uh, so that those folks on site are probably trained how to use AEDs and form CPR. Do you have a ballpark estimate for how much an AED machine would cost someone? And then replacement batteries too, right? They range in cost somewhere between $750 up to $3,000, depending on the model. Most, at least in my limited Google searches, were about $1,500, but there's a price range you can pay from. For upkeep, somewhere between $75 and $300 for pads and batteries, depending on the model as well. Now, where would coaches or parents, I guess, or umpires, where would they go to get trained in AED use? I think there's always lots of local resources. You can always check with your local fire departments to see if you have these kind of classes for the public. You can go on the American Heart Association website or the American Red Cross website and search for AED CPR training, and they should have references to local sites providing training for people. Would you say that it's more involved or more difficult to use an AED than a fire extinguisher? I'd say no. Both can be fairly stressful and that's probably the hardest part. But in terms of instructions, the AEDs come with, like I said before, clear instructions how to use. They're fairly simple and basically how to use. Dr. Knudsen and Dr. Negrete, I really appreciate you both making time to tell us about AEDs. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. My guests have been Dr. Christian Knudsen. He's an associate professor of emergency medicine at Upstate. And Dr. Guillermo Negrete, he's an EMS fellow at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's HealthLink on Air. Okay, so let's do a quick review kind of of the order of things. If you come upon someone who has collapsed and is unconscious 
and you're there all by yourself, but you do have an AED, is it CPR first or AED? Obviously, you want to activate EMS as early as possible because you need additional resources to come help. If you're by yourself, you would call 911, put the speaker on the phone because then the 911 dispatch can help actually provide you with some additional help. They can send somebody to help you because at the end of the day, what the person needs is perfusion. So you would want to do some high quality CPR. You can scream for help, see if somebody stops by so they can go and get an AED. As, but you basically should not stop doing CPR because that's what you want is basically blood flow as much as you can maintain it while somebody else will come and help with the AED. So it sounds like you need both. You need the CPR to get the blood circulating, but you also would benefit from having the AED to shock the heart back to work. Exactly. They're both very, very important and time sensitive to get the best outcome. AEDs are important. But like Dr. Gurgude said, it's high quality CPR as much as possible when you're preparing the AED. After you give a shot, CPR is important. It's just as important as the AED. Let me ask you, Dr. Knudsen, have you seen someone be revived with CPR and or AED? Similar. Uh, certainly run plenty of arrests in the field of my, my fire departments and my paramedics. And the paramedics don't use AEDs. We use defibrillators, which is a little more advanced than the AEDs. But yes, we've certainly high quality CPR defibrillation. I've had plenty of cases of lives saved by a combination of early bartender CPR, early 911 activation, early paramedics coming out of the scene and treatment as fast as possible. I've definitely seen plenty of success stories. That's good to know. I think people can feel intimidated about, you know, trying to learn this skill, but if they know it could honestly save a life, it might be more motivation to get trained. With a little practice, it is very easy to do. I taught my sixth grade daughter how to do CPR and use an AED years ago. And, uh, well, I don't want her to use it unnecessarily, but she was trained and she's ready to do it just in case. Dr. Knudsen and Dr. Negrete, I really appreciate you both making time to tell us about AEDs. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. My guests have been Dr. Christian Knudsen. He's an associate professor of emergency medicine at Upstate. And Dr. Guillermo Negrete, he's an EMS fellow at Upstate. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to listen too. And you can rate and review the Informed Patient podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you tune in. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening. <laughs>